title for you this morning is Hear, Obey, and Teach God's Word. Hear, Obey, and Teach God's Word. Let me begin by saying this. Plainly and without reservation, we are losing generations. We are losing generations. We're losing generations to compromise, to passivity, and to neglect. We have compromised our convictions. We have become passive about God's standards, and we've neglected to pass down what Jude says is the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And I don't think that we can be surprised by this when the focus of so much of Christianity has shifted from being Christ-centered theology to self-centered theology. The result is apparent. The paradox, friends, is this. If we seek to know God, we come to know ourselves as well. But if we seek to know ourselves, we end up ignorant of both. We end up ignorant both of who God is and who we ought to be. We are, in a word, being destroyed from a lack of knowledge. And I'm not simply talking about knowing a few common Bible stories, which is not necessarily wrong. I'm not talking about David and Goliath. I'm not talking about Daniel in the lion's den. I'm not talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000. I'm not talking about that kind of knowledge. That's great, and of course, that's important. But what I'm talking about is the difference between knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge, which is the collection of information. Understanding, which is the comprehension of that information. And wisdom, which is the connection of what you have collected and comprehended to life. Collection, comprehension, connection. That's knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. And there is a great deficit of that today. This is an incredibly beautiful and popular passage that we're looking at this morning here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this section of Scripture is bookended with a focus on the next generation. In particular, what we're going to see this morning is this. Say amen if you're listening. There is a correlation between how we hear, obey, and teach God's Word and the health and success of the next generation. I'm going to say that again. This is our focal point today. There is a correlation between how we hear, obey, and teach God's word and the health and success of the next generation. In other words, older folks, it's your fault. I don't know how else to tell you. It's not the voting base, it's not the policies, it's not the apps on the iPhone. This is all on you. So having said that, I hope you'll listen to me today. And in listening, I hope you'll receive a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge. Because there is a correlation between how you hear, obey, and teach the Word of God and the success of your children and your grandchildren. 
So without any further ado, let me introduce you to our first of three points today. Hear the word. Hear the word. This is found in verses 1 through 9, and there are a couple of things that I'd like to bring your attention to, particularly in verses 3 and in verses 4. If you look down at the text, if you would, please, chapter 6, verse 3 says, look at it, hear, therefore, and then jumping down to verse 6, hear, O Israel, church, help me out, we are called to do what with the word of God? Hear it. We are called to hear the word of God. This is called the Shema. This is the hearing section. Hear, O Israel. What what is going to take place after this is an important and focal point of the faith. This is sort of like what Jesus would say when he would say sometimes, hear and understand. In other words, pay attention to what I'm teaching you. Church, before anything else, as our first priority, we must take seriously the hearing of God's word. I think there are at least a couple of lessons here for us to gather. First, we should actively listen to the word. We should actively listen to the word. And what does that imply? Well, simply enough, it implies that when we listen, we engage with our ears and with our hearts and with our minds. We can't expect to be changed by God's word when we listen to it with the same level of seriousness and affection that we do a song that plays in the background while we do work around our house. We have to give the word of God our attention and our affection. Two A's, our attention and our affection. We've got to read the word of God, sing the word of God, and study the word of God, or hear it preached. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If you've ever been around me for any amount of time, you know I love reading. And there's a book called How to Read a Book. You know know you're a nerd. When you have a book that's called How to Read a Book. And Mortimer Adler, who's a sort of hero of mine because he went through the University of Chicago and and decided not to be awarded a degree because he wouldn't take a swimming test. It's very rock and roll was a sort of autodidact, which is a a term that means self-taught. He was a self-motivated, self-educated person. And he wrote this book called How to Read a Book. And in it, he talks about how to mark a book. And one of the things he talks about when he says how to mark a book is that when you read something well, it becomes like the grease in a steak. It's just part of your blood. And I like steak, and I like books. So I get really excited about analogies like that. And that's what what Colossians 3.16 is saying. Friends, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it be a part of your body, your physiology, your soul. It should be such a part of you 
that it dwells richly. Secondly, we should memorize the word. We should also memorize the word. A few verses later, we're told that, 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 that we, should, we should be about the word regularly. We're told to, to make booklets. Verses 7 and 8 and 9, we're told to make booklets and, and, and put scripture in these booklets. Later, we would see that they were come to be called phylacteries. And Jesus gave the Pharisees a hard time about these phylacteries because they would stick a bunch of verses in them so that they would appear to be extremely knowledgeable about the word. Of course, we also see that he said, take the word of God and put it on the doorposts, mezuzahs, so that the word of God was around them constantly. The point is, church, the word of God should be around us all the time. We should know it. We should be working to memorize it. And we see this demonstrated by our Lord numerous times. If you're familiar with your gospel in Matthew chapter 4, then you know that when Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus battled Satan with scripture memorization. Satan said, you should do this, and he quoted scripture. You should do that. Jesus quoted scripture. What about this other thing? And Jesus quoted scripture. He just exercised the power of the word of God because it dwelt in him richly, and God honored that. Now, there are a variety of ways that this can be achieved, and I want to share a few of them with you because it needn't only be a way that you might feel is a way of weakness for you. We all have strengths, amen? Some of us are stronger at some things than others. So let me give you a number of examples or illustrations, ways that I can suggest you increase your intake and success when it comes to the Word of God. Number one, obviously, reading. Reading. Now, I want to take an angle to this reading thing, and I want to say this, friends, I preach from, I teach from the ESV, the English Standard Version. But there are a variety of translations out there, and if you aren't someone who is passionate about reading, please know that when you come here, I'm going to be using the ESV. But use whatever translation is easiest for you to read and consume the Word of God on a regular basis. In this regard, I'd like to recommend the New Living Translation to you. The New Living Translation is what's called a paraphrase. And it, it reads just like our Bible, the ESV. It won't say anything different that ours says. It just says it in a, in a way that's more readable. It's a wonderful translation. Find a translation that suits you, that you're comfortable with, and for the love of God, Read. Read God's Word. We don't have to be sticklers about which translation that we use. They're all translations. Now, some are more literal than others, and when it comes to in-depth study, some are more helpful than others. But church, what I want to convey to you today is not whether or not you're using this or that translation, but whether or not you're reading at all. We have too many tools accessible to us to not read God's Word. Amen? Amen. Secondly, audio Bibles. 
Audio books and audio Bibles. This is, if you spend any time in your car at all, this is such a helpful tool. In fact, if you download the Crossway app of the ESV, it comes with the audio feature already built in. You can choose male or female voice. And the female voice is an Irish woman, and it's kind of neat. So it adds something a little different to you for you. So, so let's say that you're working around the house or you're sitting in your office or whatever the case is, or you just don't feel like reading that day, but you want to sit and pray and meditate. You open the app, you find what passage you want, and you click play, and it starts reading to you, and it's awesome. You're still having the Word of God expressed to you. You're still hearing the Word of God. It is so advantageous to listen to the Bible being read as well. Here's another suggestion. Podcasts. Podcasts are important. We have a podcast. There's a podcast on our website and on iTunes. If we're going through a series of sermons and you want to re-listen to something or re-study a topic, then you can go to our website and listen to our podcast. There are other podcasts out there, too, that are good and helpful, but none as good as ours. So let's just keep priorities where they belong, okay? All right. So the idea, church, is this. You can't hear the word of God if you aren't listening. You've got to be intentional about this. Turn off the news. Turn off the television. Build into your weekly diet the listening and the hearing of the word of God. Now, I want to say this before I go to my second point. Some of you would be advancing on this trend if you read one chapter a week, and I'm sorry to tell you, that's embarrassing. You never look at your Bible, ever. The only time you hear the Bible is when your pastor reads it to you. And I'm here to tell you, as a parental figure, so to speak, that's not acceptable, you need to do better. You will not have the power of the Word of God in your life if you do not have the presence of the Word of God in your life. Write that down, that's good. If it's not there, God is not going to use it. How often does Moses have to tell us, church, hear the word of God. Hear the word of God. Make notes. Journal. Nail it on the doorpost of your house. Put it everywhere around you. Hear the word of God. Secondly, we are to obey the word. First of all, hear the word. Secondly, obey the word. This is found in verses 10 through 19. 10 through 19, those second and third paragraphs in this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6, you see we aren't only to know and understand. Yes, that is an important facet of our faith. We aren't only to be wise. Yes, we are to be wise, of course, but we are also called to be obedient to God's word, we should not only know, but we should also do. Let me say that again. We should not only know, but we should also do. Look at verse 2. I'm going to back it up for you. Looking at verse 2, he says, keeping all his statutes and commandments. Moving forward, verse 25 Careful to do all the commandments. So you see in the beginning and the end, we get this tone. Careful to keep. 
careful to keep. And now in the section that we're looking at right now, in verse 17, I'd like you to look there. This is the point I want you to note. In verse 17, it says, diligently. Look at this verse. You shall diligently keep. What's the word? Diligently keep the commandment of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. Church, the word is diligently. It means to keep. It means to watch over. It means to guard. You know, you know we, have, we have children here. It's wonderful to see babies in our church. We love babies. You know, when you have your first child, when the child is sleeping, even though the house is locked and you know it's safe and the neighborhood is quiet, sometimes you just stand over the baby watching the baby sleep. Because something happens when you're a parent. God changes you when you become a parent. And the first thing you think is, I lost so much time and progress all those years that I slept. And the second thing you think is, could I ever love anything more than this little person? Am I right? And sometimes you stand over this crib, you watch this baby. You keep watch. You guard over this baby. Amen? That's the same word that's being used here. That's the implication of this word. That's being, Friends, do you stand over God's word and consider what it's telling you during the week? That's what it means to diligently do it, to diligently observe. You're paying attention, not just to the way others live their lives, but most importantly, to the way that you live yours. And when we're more focused on the way that we are living our lives under the cross, it becomes a lot less interesting to focus on the way others are living theirs. I guess I'd put it like this. Say amen. amen. Obedience isn't accidental. It is intentional. Obedience isn't accidental. It is intentional. Friends, you are not going to trip and fall into obedience. Your nature is not leading you toward God. Your nature is leading you away from him. You are a sinner in Adam, and you've got to be redeemed in Christ and transformed, regenerated and made new. And when you do that, when God does that, excuse me, in you, and that happens to you, you start to do things that bring him pleasure rather than you. And it, it causes a rub there, isn't it? It causes a rub. I love what Paul says in Romans 7.21, I therefore find a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. You ever been there? I'm trying to bring God glory so much this week, and everything's going wrong. Everything's working against me. That's because Satan doesn't want you to be successful, brother. Your nature is against God. That's why we must be born again. So, so when we start to realize that we should be doing things for God's pleasure, one of the first realizations that comes with that is this. We will never trip and fall into godliness. It is something we must work toward diligently. This is a daily decision, sometimes a moment-by-moment -moment decision. 
Sometimes it's a decision that we have to do hour by hour, and we have to ask ourselves, to whom will I give glory this moment? Church, if you want to have a healthy relationship with God, then it must be one of intentional submission and diligent obedience. The Apostle James says this. It's going to come up on the screen so you can read it with your eyes. James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word but not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself. He goes away, and at once he forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, you hear what James calls God's God's law? The perfect law. The law of liberty. What an interesting reference to the Mosaic law. He calls it the law of liberty. I think most people would look at it and say, I feel like it's a law of restriction. And James says, no, it, it teaches you what liberates you. The perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. I think there's diligence and perseverance. Amen? Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. You want to be blessed in your doing, church? Oh, okay. I'll keep preaching anyway. You can, you, 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 don't even worry. No, don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. I'm going to keep going whether you like it or not. We've got, we've got to diligently give our efforts to the Lord that we would be blessed in our doing. It's not going to happen accidentally. It's intentional. What does obedience look like? Well, that's a good question, and I've come prepared. I'm going to share with you a handful of ways that obedience will reveal itself in your life. And we're going to start easy, okay? Let's say, for example, you have come to Christ. You have come to believe by the work of God in your life, that the gospel is true, that you are a sinner in need of salvation, and that salvation is provided for you in God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's good news, amen? Let's say you've come to that realization in your life. You know what the next step is? The first step of obedience? Baptism. Baptism. That is your first step of obedience. Now, some churches, and this is not a comment of ridicule or criticism, but some churches will say, you want to be baptized? Great. I need you to go through 101, 201, and 301. Oh, you want to be baptized? That's great. I'm going to need you to go through this introductory matter first. But when we read the Bible, the apostle Peter, Philip, other men in the New Testament, this is their command. Believe and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. The first step of obedience for Christians is to be baptized. Now, some of you are, are you're, you're, right now you're shaking. You don't know if it's because it's cold or it's because you've never been baptized. But I'm here yelling at you right now so that you can hear that obedience is important. If you've never been baptized by immersion, you need to be baptized by immersion. Not by the sprinkle or the splashes, but by the immersion. Because Paul says when we are immersed, we are showing to everyone, like Christ, we have died, but he has given us a new life to live. 
That's not demonstrated in the splashing. That's not demonstrated in the pouring. That's demonstrated in the immersion. Romans chapter 6 says, those who are baptized in Christ have been raised to walk a new life. Such an exciting principle. Now my point to you, I've been baptized. My point to you, if you haven't been baptized, is this. And this is a very simple question. I want you to wrestle with it. If you haven't been baptized, why not? If you haven't been baptized, why not? When we baptize, what we are demonstrating is that we are identifying with the death of Christ and everyone else who has identified with the death of Christ. What is a Christian who has not been baptized? A Christian who has not been baptized is like watching a football game and then everybody runs out on the field, change of downs, offense goes out, and the quarterback runs out, and he's got no jersey on. He says, that's not right. Everybody on the team has a jersey. And the quarterback goes, yeah, but I just don't feel like wearing the jersey. No. No, that's not how the team works, brother. If you're going to play for the team and you're going to be on the team, you have to be initiated. This is part and parcel of who we are. First step of obedience for those of you who have become Christians is to be baptized. Let me share another point of obedience. If we're Christians, then an expectation of obedience from God is that we go to worship on a regular basis. Now, I'm a pastor. So, of course, everyone's like, of course you feel that way, Joe. Yeah, but that doesn't bother me. I'm going to say it anyway. I don't know how you guys get by with church once or twice a month. I don't, under, I don't get it. Now, maybe to you, like church twice a month is like drinking from a fire hydrant. I don't know. Maybe it is. But I can't get enough Jesus. The more I get of Jesus, the more I want of Jesus. We should be here every single Sunday. And then when you're here every single Sunday, you go on vacation for one week. I don't know. And I had to look that word up the other day, vacation. I had no idea what it was. You, you go on vacation, if you are where you're supposed to be emotionally and psychologically and spiritually in connection with First Baptist Church of Color Ridge, because you don't need to be in connection with any other church, you need to be in connection here. You are connected here the way, you go on vacation, you come back and you're like, I feel like I've been, been gone for six months. I missed one week and I feel like I'm out of the loop. Is everybody still my friend? Do you still love me? I feel kind of weird. I was not here last week. I heard it was a good sermon. But the reality of the matter is, is when your roots Roots, friends, when your roots are someplace, then it shows in your fruits. The reason so many of you have no problem coming to worship on the first Sunday and then missing for two months and then coming back on a third Sunday and then is because your roots are not here. If your roots were here, you couldn't miss. Now, I'm not saying that to be ugly. I'm saying that to challenge you and convict you. I want you to consider obedience to the word. Obedience to the word is when you believe you get baptized. Obedience to the word is you don't forsake the assembling together of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the habit of some. It's the habit of whom? Oh, but we don't do some here. We're not doing some. We're worshiping. 
On Wednesday, we get together, we break the bread, and we study. Our kids study. They have fun. Fun is integrated into what they study. And then when Tom teaches, we have fun too. But the reality of the matter is, is we're breaking the bread together. We're learning. Here's another thing. Prayer is a matter of obedience. You should be praying. You should be dedicating time every single day to prayer. And we have a thing in our house when we're starving, hungry, and it's been a busy day or something, we go, thank you, Jesus, we love you, Jesus, and then we start eating. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not the, it's not the best prayer. Well, that, we just kind of throw that up. Thank you, Jesus, we love you, Jesus. Sometimes there's a bite already in our mouth when we're, when we're going, so we throw it up real quick so we don't choke. But what I'm telling you, Samon, if you're listening, how thankful are you? You say, well, Joe, I'm, I, I, I'm thankful. Then be obedient and demonstrate your thanksgiving. Pray before you eat. Pray before you begin your day. When someone says, I'm going through a hard time, say, do you mind if I just say a quick prayer for you? Prayer is a mode of obedience. Don't, don't do that. You've heard me say this before. We have a strong prayer team here. I'm so grateful for our, our prayer team here at our church. Don't be among those people who say, I'll pray for you, and then never pray. Oh, don't be those people. Just say a quick prayer. If you never say anything else after that moment, say, can I just say a quick prayer? God, I don't know what they're going through, but I pray that you'll be with them, and I pray that you do great things in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. That, that's enough. Something to, to block out. You might say to me, well, I'm not real comfortable. That's the problem. That's the issue. We're comfortable in a thousand different arenas, but not in the most important one. We should be comfortable in the arena of obedience. One more example of obedience, service. Service. When we serve, we are Christ-like. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In John chapter 13, he gives to us this idea of service in an illustration, and he washes his disciples' feet. Now, I have a lot of brothers here who have socks and shoes on today and do not live in Israel, A.D. 33, but I would still not wash their feet. <laughs> I have standards. <laughs> and Peter says, what are you doing washing my feet? And Jesus says, I am doing this as an example that you would do to others. And if I do not do this, you'll have no part with me. And then Peter says, wash my head too then. I want to be as close to you as I can. And what Jesus is saying is, is, this is what our relationship is like, Peter. If I serve you, you must serve others. If you don't serve, then it is as if you have no part of me. Who have you served this week? Who have you gone out of your way for this week? 
Some of you are saying, well, Joe, I'm, I, I, I don't have these abilities. I don't have these opportunities. Well, service comes in a lot of different shades and varieties. I'm going to use an illustration here with Hollis. I gave Hollis a ministry a few weeks back, and that was to reach out to people who weren't here for reasons, because she's a woman of the word and a woman of prayer, and she needed something to do. And if I didn't give her something to do, she was going to drive me crazy. (laughs) And she's been doing an outstanding job. And I got a call from the Flynn family. And Jack was having a hard time with the passing of his mother recently. And wouldn't you know, at just one of those difficult moments, Hollis called. And Jack called me and he said, you don't know what that prayer meant to me. Friends, you don't know what you're missing by not serving. I know it gets difficult. I know it gets tiring. I know thinking of others rather than yourself becomes exhausting. But there is a reward in service reaped by those who serve that is not enjoyed by those who don't. Amen? On the other hand, To diligently obey God means to not put him to the test. Look at verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, we aren't to measure God. We aren't to give God ultimatums. We aren't to make negotiations with God. You know the negotiations was like, God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll quit smoking. God, if you do this for me, I'll never cuss again. God, if you do this, if you do this for me, I'll start going to church. I know why it's quiet. Friends, that's testing God. The particular reference that Moses is making here in chapter 6, verse 16 is found in Exodus 17. Now, just just as a little bit of chronology, they are delivered from Egypt in 15, 14 and 15. And then in 17, two chapters later, they ask this question, is the Lord among us or not? Miraculous delivery in 14 and 15. Who is like our God? Yay, yay, yay. Exodus 17, is God here or not? And that's what God is saying. Don't test me like that. When I've worked around you, in you, through you, miraculously delivered, who's seen God do things in their life, amen? Act like it. Live like it. Friends, he deserves our obedience because he's God. He deserves our obedience because he's good. He deserves our obedience because he's love. He deserves our obedience because he's holy. He deserves our obedience because he is full of steadfast love and mercy. He deserves our obedience because he's strong and mighty to save. And he deserves our obedience 
because he's faithful. Friends, he deserves our obedience. Imagine what it's like to be a Christian who is not obedient. What a contradiction in terms. If you know me, you know I, I love good poetry. And Nixon Waterman, at the turn of the 20th century, wrote a poem called, What Have We Done Today? And the third stanza is very interesting. It goes like this. We shall reap such joys in the by and by. But what have we sown today? We shall build great castles in the sky. But what have we built today? It is good and idle dreams to bask. But here and now do we do our task. This one thing our souls must ask. What have we done today? Church, what have you done today? Have you been obedient to the Lord this week? Thirdly, we are to teach the word. We are to hear the word. We are to obey the word. And thirdly and finally, we are to teach the word. So, so, so far we've seen that obedience isn't accidental, it's intentional. We've got to be diligent in this matter. But in addition to that, you cannot teach what you do not know. And you cannot know if you do not hear. So let me talk to you just thirdly about teaching the word. A couple of things worth consideration here first. We don't have to be teachers to teach. We don't have to be teachers to teach. Everyone teaches someone something. Everyone, without exception, this is a rule. We all convey information of some kind constantly. And the truth is, we teach what we know. You do, I do, we all teach what we know. So if we're hearing and obeying God's word, if it's God's word that has infiltrated our hearts and our minds and that we love, then what we're teaching is going to be God's word and godliness and righteousness and so on. Secondly, and this is where I want to spend the majority of our time as we close. We're going to teach God's word. A couple of things to notice. And first of all, we all teach. You don't have to be a teacher to teach. But secondly, I want you to note that discipleship starts in the home. Discipleship starts in the home. Look at the scripture again, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 7. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. That is, God's word should be a constant 
source of conversation. God's word should be a constant source of conversation. Now, this isn't meant robotically. You know what I mean? This sounds very organic to me. We have a family. We love each other. We go to baseball or we go to dance. We go to school. We go out to dinner. And God's word is somehow, some way, part of the conversation that we have on a regular basis because God's word is in our heart and mind. So as a consequence, as a family, say amen if you're listening, organically, the word of God is always part of our conversation. Friends, the most important audience that you will ever have is your family. One of the greatest disservices that the church has ever performed on families is put something on every single day and every single night of the week. We talk about the importance of the family and then we're constantly demanding the family to be here rather than their dining room table. That's why we don't clutter the calendar with stuff. We don't clutter the calendar with stuff because moms and dads require time to be a positive, godly influence in the lives of their children, and their children require time to be healthy, balanced, spiritually well, youth, teenagers, etc. Check out verses 20 and 21. Deuteronomy 6, 20 and 21. When your son, and this is like any other language, male is male, female is female, male is used for both, so it could be sons and daughters. This is not particularly for men. When your son or daughter asks you in time to come, what's the meaning of these testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son or daughter, oh, let me tell you a story. When we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, and then he gave us these laws. Listen, part of being a responsible teacher is understanding why we believe what we do and why we hold the convictions that we do. I have the blessed honor and privilege of having an influence in the lives of your children. Some of them I even like. But no one has the influence in the life of your child that you do. Don't screw it up. Don't put it on the president and don't put it on the pastor. Your child is your child. If they aren't who you want them to be, that's not on me. That's on you. If they are an exceptional person, good job. That I'll take some credit for. (laughs) But friends, hear what I'm saying to you in love. The reality of the matter is is God has given you the most amazing job ever to be given to a man and a woman. To be a parent is to have the most wonderful, awesome privilege, but awesome and wonderful responsibility. 
And you cannot shirk your responsibility in these matters to say that as long as your child doesn't look like what's going on on the television, you've been successful. God's got higher standards for you than that, and he expects you to teach your children to such an extent that when your child goes, Mom, by the way, why as Christians do we believe in the Trinity? You have been hearing the word of God and obeying the word of God to such an extent that you can say, well, I can't fill in all the details, but, but this is what the Bible teaches us, son. Now, you don't have to be a theologian, and that's where the pastor comes in. I support you, and I encourage you, and I inform you, and I've already done this with a lot of you. You know what I'm talking about. But know the awesome obligation that you have as a parent. We're surrounded by people who don't think stealing is wrong because they've been told that there is no God, that they are the center of the universe, and that nothing and nobody has a right to stand in between them and what they want. Not even law and common human decency. How did we get here? Well, it's not the pastors around the country's fault. They haven't been taught the principles of right and wrong. They haven't been taught the value of human life. They haven't been taught the difference between righteousness and unrighteousness. They only have been taught self-righteousness, materialism, and self-satisfaction. And at some point 40 years ago, the church started negotiating, compromising. And now we're reaping what we've sown. We started believing that the government had our best interests at mind. And we started sending our kids here and there, and it's okay, they'll be fine. And we say things like, the Lord will protect them. And I kind of hear an echo, as it were, from heaven, from God saying, that's your job, stupid. I gave you that job. You will not shirk your responsibility and then expect me to fulfill the gap. No, mom and dad, your kids are your responsibility. And you cannot be delinquent in your responsibility as a parent and then expect God to fill all the gaps. Oh, he fills a lot of gaps. But he doesn't just do it by default. He has given to us a responsibility. And as a result, we reap what we sow. Why do we see such a compromise of simple morality in our country because we were told that irreconcilable differences is a justifiable excuse for divorce instead of believing what the Bible says. When we don't like what a pastor says, we go to a liberal church so that the, that pastor could tell us whatever you feel is right is probably the right thing to do, which is a lie from the pit of hell. And we go that way because it's what we want to hear. We're not hearing the word. We, we go a different way. We hear something else. And then, and then we have children, and we raise them up that same godless, unrighteous philosophy. And then we can't figure out years later, while the school system 
is completely a wreck. When everyone's family is broken because everyone's family has compromised. And then we lean on a system that cannot even support itself to do in, our lives of the, in the lives of our children what God told us to do. Friends, our children learn who God is and our children learn what God has done by listening to the stories that we tell. Amen? Our children learn who God is and what he has done by listening to the stories that we tell. And listen to me for a moment. If you don't have stories, then you don't have a relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God, every now and then you can go, let me tell you, let me tell you a story about, about one time when God did a thing. My middle sister, Lisa, she's not here, so I can talk badly about her. <laughs> she's the favorite child. And as the favorite child, as the favorite child, there are certain allowances that they are given, you know? Hang on, Will, I'm coming to it. <laughs> there came a time in her life after a very bad relationship that finally was broken off that she came home and she had a job opportunity and the job opportunity required education so she took the test and she was accepted into the dental hygiene program at Miami-Dade and she came out and she said I've been accepted I need $1,000 for the tools. And that week, my mother was given a $1,000 bonus for outstanding work. Friends, we got, we got a lot of stories like that. And I bet you if you sit still long enough, you probably have a bunch of stories like that too. If you will obey, and if you will hear, you will teach. God will do it. God will meet you where you are and supply where you lack so that he will receive the glory and you will receive the good. And then I have to follow up as your pastor with this question, so what? What will you do with these great stories? This is what Moses is saying. When your kids come to you and say, what does this stuff mean? Don't forget what God has done for you. Take advantage of these opportunities. Every Christian home should be full of stories of what God has done. Friends, our faith is the most important heritage that we could pass down to our children. Now, if we look at Sarah, for example, she's good looking like me. She's tall like me. She's talented like me. She suffers from melancholy like me. 
But if you're looking for Sarah at about 11 o'clock every night, you will find her reading her Bible. She doesn't play. She's got her Bible open, and she has her highlighter in her hand, and she takes her relationship with Jesus more seriously than a lot of adults I know. And that's not a testament to anything but God's grace. And Dimey's willingness and my willingness to mess up and say, that was our bad. God expects more from us. Let's pray about it. Let's remember the great things he's done. And let's move forward. You're going to hand things down to your children. The only thing that matters that you hand down to your children, the only heritage that matters, is the faith. Now to close, let me say this. We must hear, obey, and teach God's word. And if we don't, we will inevitably continue to see the demise of men and women in our society and in our culture and in our church. We will see the breakdown of the family unit. We will see the breakdown of our society and we will neglect the convictions that God has called us to honor and respect. There are some parents here today who have been outstanding parents, who have children who are not walking in the way. There are parents here who have completely neglected raising up their children in the way, but they have children who are walking in the way. Friends, I want to say this. Don't ignore the promise because of an exception. Okay? The promise is this. Raise up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And in the end, even if they depart from it, they will come back. I believe this. You believe this? Some of you are sitting here listening to me today, and I've stepped on your feet a few times, and, and you feel hurt. I'm not hurting you for hurt's sake. I'm hurting you because I don't want you to forget the great promises that our loving Father has made. Don't lose heart. Stay the course and keep the faith. For those of you who haven't done it, today's the day to start. Don't put off till tomorrow what you should begin this afternoon. To close, I want to read Micah 6, 8 and leave you with this great encouragement. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Do justice. Love kindness. And walk humbly with your God. Can we do that this week? To his glory and our good. Let's say amen.